0: It occurred to me while I was listening that we're still accepting new members. Membership is open. We're blessed when um, friends from other churches come and visit us to bless us with music. Amen? I remember hearing that song, I think first in Dominican Republic or somewhere, and it brought back some good memories. So thank you for blessing us with that. Well, we're back in our series in the letter of 1 John. So get your Bibles out, your phones, your tablets, the Pew Bible in front of you, and open up to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 18. But I was thinking this week about my old high school class on literature. And actually, Sarah found for me, uh, I forgot it at home, but she brought it. This is my old book from class on poetry, high school poetry. parents Sound and Sense, An Introduction to Poetry. A lot of good poems in here. A lot of poems that I read and just didn't understand, didn't get, didn't appreciate when I was in high school. Uh, but there are some that we studied, and the more I studied them, the more I began, began to appreciate them. Something that I observed in poetry class was that you generally can't get the full benefit and understanding of a poem at its first reading through. Have you observed that? Now, some poems are fairly straightforward, and maybe you get it the first time through. But, you know, just for example, um, I was looking here this morning at a Robert Frost poem, Nothing Gold Can Stay. So I'm just going to read it to you and, and see if you get it. Nature's first green is gold, her hardest hue to hold, her early leaves a flower, but only so an hour. Then leaf subsides to leaf, and Edom sink to grief. So dawn goes down today, and nothing gold can stay. You got it? Pretty good, huh? I love what he did there, and it's just so deep, right? You protest because you say, no, you can't, you can't do poetry like that. First of all, you got to read it with some cadence, and some enthusiasm, and pauses, and, and you, need to, you need to do it, you need to read it right, and then you need to think about it, and then there's alliteration in here. Her hardest hue to hold. Okay, well that's nice, I appreciate that. And then we gotta think about some of the symbols in here. And, and there are these paradoxes in lines one and three, and we've gotta discuss these things, and after we've all gone over it for a long time, then maybe we'll begin to appreciate it a little bit better. But still, I mean, Robert Frost, he wrote some good stuff, so we probably still won't grasp all that this poem has to offer. So we recognize that <coughs> in poetry, but how about with God's word? For God so loved the world, he gave his only my son. And whoever in okay, amen. I Got it. Sometimes we read the Bible in a similar way. Or we think we can read it without expression. Or read it once and understand everything Paul was trying to communicate. I find that, that a lot of these poems that I still don't understand in here are, in a similar way, reminding me that there's stuff in every passage of Scripture that I'm not going to gather in one simple reading through. I may study a passage for a lifetime and still never dredge its depths completely. There's still more gold to find. So as we get into our passage for today, I just want to be conscious <clears throat> that, that there's a lot for us to discover. You know, in our time here, I try not to preach too long because I know that uh, the mind can only take in so much as the seat can endure. So, <coughs> or the blood sugar, or the kids, or, or, or this or that. So we only have so much time to study together, but I hope it encourages you to study more on your own, to spend time reading and rereading passages, to read them slowly, to read them in different translations, to look up words you don't understand. You gotta do that in poetry, too, uh, often. So today I'm gonna do something a little bit different. We're not gonna dissect this passage completely, but I'm gonna read it through once in its entirety and let you just listen to it. You can read along if you want. I'm in the New International Version today. But think about words that are repeated, ideas and concepts that are brought up more than once, and let's see if we can get a deeper appreciation for 1 John 2, verses 18, through 27. The Bible reads, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, But their going showed that none of them belong to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It's the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. This is what he has promised us, even eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. So as you listen to the passage this morning, were there any words or concepts that you heard multiple times? You could just raise your hand or shout it out. What did you hear? What's that? Anointing. Anointing, very good. Father, that's right. Son. The son. The father and the son. We've got anointing. Antichrist. Antichrist. There's the antichrist and then there's antichrists. We'd say big A and little a. What else? There's another word that, that I saw five times in that passage. In my Bible, it's, it's one word. In your Bible, it, it may be another word. There are a couple of words that are used here. Yeah, Ellie. Truth, that's a good one. That's not the one I'm thinking of, but that's re- repeated multiple times too. What else do you notice? I heard something back there, what? What? Yes. And I heard it also here. Oh, There was believing, but then there's also abiding. In NIV, it says remaining. Yeah, exactly. So when the Bible repeats words like this, we need to pay attention. And it's going to help us break down Paul's passages a little bit better if we read them in larger context. Uh, and, and we got to also remember that this book, this letter, was sent as a letter. And When I get a letter, I usually read the whole thing in one sitting, right? I don't just say, okay, today I'm just going to read one paragraph from the letter from my wife to me. No, you read the whole thing. (laughs) What was that, Al? (laughs) He said, that'll be the last time you ever read a paragraph. (laughs) That's funny. All right. So today we're just focusing on a part of this letter. But we've already seen some key ideas popping up. And there's something that you can do on the computer, which is pretty awesome. It's called a word cloud. Have you seen a word cloud before? That's where you take all the text from a letter, from a passage, from a book, from a sentence, and you put it into this thing online, and it pops out a picture or a shape. And the bigger the words are in that picture, the more frequently they occur in that passage. And so, I actually did that with our passage today, and would you like to see what it looks like? Sure! It looks like that. So, those are basically all the words or all the major words in our passage. And what are the words that are the big ones that pop out at you? Son, Father, they appear, I think, both four times. Anointing appears uh, three or four times in our passage. Remain. Uh, I use the NIV, so it has remain. That appears five times. No. Antichrist. Some of the major concepts. Not that the small words and the words that are used less frequently are less important, but we need to pay attention if we want to better understand what this passage is all about, and we can already get an idea that it has to do something with the Son and the Father and an anointing, remaining, knowing, but then there's also the concept of antichrist, right? And as we'll see, these words and concepts are connected together. So you can have a lot of fun. In fact, I'll just leave this up here on the screen for you to look at. But you can have a lot of fun with the Bible and use technology to help you study it in a new way. Now, with this particular one, I noticed that it's, it thought anointing or anointed were two different words, so I went through and I made sure, no, 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 we'll just put them all into one. So sometimes you have to look for, for that. Um, it wasn't smart enough to recognize, I didn't ask it to recognize similar words and put them all together. So let's start from the very beginning. First John chapter 2, verse 18, dear children. <clears throat> Again, we saw dear children is a reference to all the believers, right? not just a reference to Rohan and Sophiana, et cetera, et cetera. It's a reference to everybody. Dear children, this is the last hour. This is the last hour. Whoa. When was John writing this? He was writing this almost 2,000 years ago. You know, in a, in a certain sense, ever since the cross, ever since the resurrection, we're living on borrowed time in these last days. Uh, But Jesus instructed his followers to believe and expect his coming to be near. And so, in a sense, it was the last hour for John and his believers. Uh, If it was the last hour then, we're like in the last minutes. (laughs) Beloved, it's the last few seconds, I believe. This is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. He's talking about the Antichrist, capital A Antichrist, the big one. And it's interesting, for as much talk about the Antichrist, it's only in this passage, well in, this, in John's writings here, that we see the word Antichrist used in the Bible. It's not used in Revelation. It's not used in the book of Daniel. Antichrist is only in John's letters here. Um, now the concept is seen elsewhere, the little horn power of Daniel chapter 7 and 8, that refers to what we believe is the Antichrist. Daniel chapter 11 gets into Antichrist issues. There are glimpses, hints of act- Antichrist activity in Daniel chapter 12. We see other things like 2 Thessalonians, Paul's reference to the man of sin, <clears throat> the lawless one, the, the son of perdition whom the Lord will consume with the brightness of his coming, That's in reference to the Antichrist also, and of course the beast power of Revelation, chapter 13, deals with Antichrist issues. Uh, But I'm not preaching a sermon on capital A Antichrist today. If you want to learn more, go to our webpage, parkwood.adventistfaith.org. And Lorraine, our wonderful secretary, has put all of the presentations from our Prophecy Seminar last fall online. So you can access every one of them. We did an Antichrist Part 1, Antichrist Part 2. You just go to the Media button and you click on Seminars and you'll see them all there. But John recognizes that this Antichrist, capital A, was a future event. But he said something interesting. He said, even now, many Antichrists have come. Present tense. They're here. John recognized that it wasn't just one single figure or one single power. The spirit of the Antichrist has existed in all ages. And we've got to remember, the beast in Revelation chapter 13, this, from the sea, how many heads did it have? It had seven heads. Uh, there was the active one, uh, the one that received the deadly wound, but there were other heads and the head was going to come back to power. So, in other words, Antichrist has manifested himself in different powers, in different ages, and even in John's day, he said, Antichrists are among us. So we want to figure out, what is this Antichrist manifestation in John's day, and what can we learn that would apply to our day? Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Where do they come from? Look at verse 19. It says, they went out from us. He's not referring to atheists challenging the Christian's faith. He's not talking about Muslims attacking the Christian church or Buddhists or Hindus. He's talking about people from within Christianity that went out. Antichrist power, anti Christos. Anti can mean against, it can also mean instead of. Instead of. So people who who went to church, who fellowshiped with the saints, they started teaching and preaching some strange stuff. And they went out from among them. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained. New King James, I believe, says, would have continued or would have abided with us. But they didn't. So first thing we can learn about Antichrist spirit, in this case, it led the people not to remain, not to abide. They left, but their going out showed that none of them belonged to us. Verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. Now in contrast to those who have the spirit of the Antichrist, He's talking now to the faithful believers. And what do they have? They've got that big word, anointing. Anointing from the Holy One. Who's the Holy One? Well, if you study the New Testament, well, Old Testament passages, it points in general to God. In the New Testament, Holy One is applied to Jesus. And there are several verses that illustrate that. But when Jesus was anointed, Christ, Jesus Christ means Uh, Christ means the anointed one. Who was he anointed by? The Holy Spirit. That's right. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And before Jesus left, he said, I'm going to give you a gift. It's necessary that I go away because if I go away, I can send you something. He said to the believers, stay here in Jerusalem until you receive The anointing, the blessing, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So they'd received a gift from the Holy One, Jesus, and the anointing which came from the Holy Spirit. They were Holy Spirit-filled believers. And because of that, John says, and all of you know the truth. Other translations, and you know all the truth. They certainly didn't know all the truth because nobody knows all the truth except for God, but they knew the truth that was essential for salvation and who Jesus was. So the Holy Spirit had revealed to them who Jesus was. Verse 21, I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It's the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist, or a Antichrist, He denies the Father and the Son. As we mentioned in the first sermon on this series, there were some specific heresies that John was dealing with. He was dealing with docetism and Sorinthianism. Docetism taught that Jesus um, wasn't really divine, denied the deity of of Christ. Sorinthianism taught that Jesus and Christ were two separate characters and that Christ came upon Jesus when he was baptized. Really weird theology. So that's what John's dealing with, and he's saying there are people who left us and they're teaching these things. Yet Jesus isn't really divine. Jesus and Christ, they're two separate things and and weird stuff. Stuff that the Holy Spirit revealed was in error. And so he's saying the truth doesn't have lies But the people who deny Jesus as Christ, Jesus as Messiah, Jesus in relationship to the Father, they are antichrist. The Spirit supplanting the truth of Jesus for another truth, a false truth, a lie about Jesus. Verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So it, it's interesting to think about these things, but you say, John, how does this, a passage, this passage apply to me today? Because, quite frankly, I've listened to Joe teach in Sabbath school. He does a wonderful job. I've heard Jenny Beasley teach in Sabbath school. She does an excellent job. I've been out to the Sabbath school in Bellarmine Hall, and they do great out there, and in the little kids' classrooms, and I haven't heard a single person saying, yeah, you know, Jesus is not the Christ. So praise God, we don't have that specific heresy to deal with. Amen? Amen. So, therefore, we can just forget this passage, because it doesn't apply to us, right? Or is there perhaps something more we can learn that might have application? Oh, that poem doesn't apply to me? Oh, maybe, maybe not. Maybe so. These people were denying Jesus. I looked up this word denying. I wanted to find other examples of people who denied Jesus. Can you think of any circumstances where people denied Christ? Yeah, Peter. Peter's the main one in the New Testament. There are many ways to deny that Jesus is Christ. Peter, he believed that Jesus was Christ, but in his actions and attitudes, through his words, through his silence, he denied Jesus as Christ. That man, I've never seen him before. Oopsies. Is it possible that we could fall into a similar trap? If we live our lives, but people don't know that we're a follower of Jesus, are we, through our silence, denying Christ? Is it possible when you feel convicted to speak up on behalf of Jesus but you hold back because I'm afraid? Hold back. In that moment, is that the spirit of Antichrist working in us to deny the witness? Deny testifying to who Jesus is? Some things to think about here. There are many ways we can deny Christ. We can can believe Jesus is the Messiah. We can believe that Jesus came from God, that is God. But are we letting him change our life? Because it's one thing to believe something intellectually and it's another thing to let something change your entire life, right? You can know that you have Um, you can know that you're sick and that there's a vaccine that will make you well. Yeah, I know it, I believe it. But you don't believe it in the fullest sense unless you're willing to let it fix you. You see what I'm saying? And so it's possible even experientially that we're denying Christ if we don't let the power of Christ into our lives and change our lives and our hearts and minds. Is this making sense? Uh, we got to think about these things carefully. So there were people people who were leaving because they weren't really a part of the faith. They were teaching these heresies. By the way, there are some strange teachings going on today uh, about the Holy Spirit and so forth. And there was a fabulous seminar that happened down um, at a church just a little south of here. And if you go on to ccc.adventist.org, you can watch these presentations that are really good about the Holy Spirit and about the nature of God. Really good stuff. I really recommend you looking into it. So they left, but John is telling the believers, You've got the anointing and you're remaining. Now, verse 24. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains, abides in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he has promised us, eternal life. Now John wrote another book. Book of John. He used that similar language, remaining, abiding. John chapter 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. So God God is telling us through John about the importance of remaining connected, abiding in Jesus. And the ones that didn't abide were the ones that left with the spirit of Antichrist. So the protection from leaving, from getting the spirit of Antichrist, from falling away, is to abide and to keep the anointing Verse 26, I'm writing you these things to those of you who are try- about those who are trying to lead you astray. I'm trying to inoculate you against these false teachings. But as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. Not that teachers were unnecessary because the Holy Spirit gave the gift of teaching. But in this case, about these doctrines, you don't need someone to come teach you something else about who Jesus is. You already know, and the Holy Spirit has taught you but as his anointing teaches you about these things, and as this anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. A couple of key points here. He says this anointing is real and not counterfeit. Is it possible to have a counterfeit anointing of the Holy Spirit? Apparently it is. So we've got to watch out for that. But it's a real and genuine anointing, and so he urges them again to remain in him. And then look at verse 28. And now, dear children, continue, abide, remain in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. So what do we get from this passage? We've read through it, we've looked at it a little more closely. What have we learned that we can apply in our life? We've seen the importance of knowing and professing Not denying the Son and the Father. Living and representing Him in our daily lives through our actions, our attitudes, our words. Not being silent when we're called to speak. And we've seen the importance again and again of remaining and abiding. If you want to stay connected to God, make that choice and make sure you have the anointing. It's been said you can't abide where you don't presently reside. Right? You can't live somewhere if you don't, you can't stay somewhere if you aren't there. You can't abide where you don't already reside. So how do we get the anointing from the Holy Spirit? Because I think that's the key thing in this passage. The people who had the anointing didn't fall away into heresy. How do we get the anointing? Number one, We ask for it. And then we keep on asking. Jesus wants to give us this gift. It's the most important gift we can ever receive, and we need to receive it every single day. It starts when we wake up and we say, Lord, it's another day, and I want you in my life. I need your Holy Spirit in my life. I need the fruits of the Spirit in my life. I'm raising children, dear God. I need the fruit of the Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Lord, it's another day. I have tough things ahead of me at my job. I'm a teacher. I'm a doctor. Lord, it's just hard enough being alone here in this house. I need your anointing in my life. God, what do you want to say to me? And we open up this book, the word of truth. We saturate our lives with truth. We get into the place with God And then we stay there. And we try and stay connected to God throughout the day. And we do this day after day. We need to have a sermon series on the Holy Spirit to unpack this more. But how many of you want to stay with God and have the anointing of God in your life? I want that. I need that. Every single one of us needs it. God wants to use you in a special way this week to not deny Jesus, but speak for Jesus. And to do that, you need the Holy Spirit. So let's affirm that desire through prayer right now. Dear Father, we want to follow you every single day. Lord, we don't want to get mixed up in false teaching. um, But even more than that, Lord, we want to stay connected to you because you're our friend. You're our Savior. You're the one that gives us power and strength and joy. You're the one that brings meaning to our life. And so whatever we do in our lives, we need you. We need your anointing to instruct us and guide us and teach us and correct us and to empower us, Lord. So I pray that our hearts will be open for that anointing now in this moment and every single day. May we abide with you today and each day And may others know about you and be pointed to you through our witness this week. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great Sabbath. As many of you heard, next Sabbath at 3 p.m. there is the service, memorial service for Joan Curtis. So she passed away on Sunday. Come out next Sabbath at 3 p.m. and uh, support and love on the family. We'll see you later. God bless.